Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. We're just really just going to open our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if you write in your, if you, I do, I write in my Bible, not in a disrespectful way, but I underline and uh, write words in there that, you know, uh, as the preacher is saying something, if it speaks to me or in my daily devotion, I write it in there. In fact, I have a Bible, the one that I'm using right now is specially designed for note. It's got margins, extra wide margins. I mean, it needs to be your Bible, not the one I have. Your Bible needs to be your Bible. You need to make it your Bible, not just by writing your name in the front of it. All right? Anyway, if you do write in your Bible, there's going to be some, th- some things tonight I'm going to have you underline or circle. If you don't, if you have a notebook, I didn't make a note sheet for you tonight. Um, but we're just going to start. We're gonna, first thing we'll do is read verses 1 through 7. And then we're just going to go back and start in verse 1 and work our way through to verse 7. Amen. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded. And I'm going to put the word in there, me. Moses is uh, writing or speaking here. It says, the word which the Lord God commanded me to teach you. And if we go back to Deuteronomy 5, the beginning, you'll see that Moses has called all of Israel together. So the audience really are the, the it's really a, a passage being written to the parents. And, and that will bear itself out as we read. So all of Israel is standing there and he said, God commanded me to, to teach you that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life and, you know, just simplify your son and your grandson, all right, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that you might increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Amen. So let's just bring up verse 1, and we're just going to take it one verse at a time. I don't have a fancy title for tonight. Obviously, Wednesday night we have really committed in 2022 uh, to family, and we're going to be, uh, last week, Sister Jones, thank you, Sister Jones, talked to us about uh, praying for our families, and my wife has been uh, doing uh, teaching and instruction on how, uh, w- w- what our approach needs to be if we're going to raise godly families, if we're going to have godly homes, and so I- I'm going to stay in alignment with that, but we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6.1 to begin with, and just reading that, now these are the commandments, the statutes, the judgments which the Lord had your God commanded, again, in inferring that word there, me, to teach you that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it. 
Amen. These are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. And I want you to, first of all, again, if you're writing your Bibles, uh, again, respectfully, I'm not just, you know, you're not playing a hangman or anything, but I want you to circle the word teach. That is there in Deuteronomy 6 and 1. All right? God commanded, Moses said, God commanded me to teach you. And the word that is uh, teach there is the Hebrew word lamad, uh, spelled L-A-M-M-E-D, but pronounced L-A-M-O-D. At least that's how I would write it out, lamad. And this word means to impart information with the focus that the information will be responded to. God commanded me, Moses says, to impart to you information but it's information with an expectation that there's going to be a response that you will take. All right, so Moses is saying, God commanded me to impart the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments to you all in such a way and with the expectation that you're going to respond to them. Now, there's a lot of information in our lifetime that we are uh, given, instructions that people share with us, information that is shared with us that's entirely for just simply the passing along of information. In fact, I feel like the first, well, 12 years of my schooling in the public school system was pretty much that. It was information that I, most of it, the majority of it, I'll never use again in my lifetime, just being honest. I mean, it's good to know, I guess, that water is two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen, but I'll probably never really put that into play in my life where I'm like, I don't, I don't know how I would begin to apply that. I'm just like, God, thank you for two hydrogens and one oxygen. I guess I don't, I don't know of a time where I'm really going to be concerned that there was two hydrogens and one oxygen. Again, I'm sure if you go on in a, you know, if, you, if, if I were a biologist or a, a chemist, I'm sure those things would be important to me. But there, as a pastor, it's really not that important to me to know how um, oxygen, you know, the, the molecular structure of, I don't even know if I'm saying it right. So I'm just going to go on before I... You all find out this guy really doesn't know what he's talking about. So let's go to the next one. I probably don't know. I, mean, I learned in, in uh, 10th grade geometry that an obtuse angle is anything greater than 90 degrees. But I don't know of one time since 10th grade geometry that I've really needed that. Right? Where I was like, you know, that needs to be more obtuse than it is right now. I, I've, it's never really come into play. Right? I don't know that it ever will, to be honest. It was just information. Again, probably if I had different career paths and some of you, maybe your job you need to know about obtuse angles. Maybe, maybe that's something you do every day. You go out there and, and, you know, just surmise obtuse angles and fix them and make them better. God bless you, obtuse angle fixers. God bless you all. But this is just information that we, we, we gather and is passed on to us just for the sake of being information. But Moses was saying to them, this is not that. All right, this is not just useless information. All of these commandments that God has been giving to me to share with you, the statutes and the judgments that God has been leading me to teach to you, this is not just useless information, but God commanded me to teach them to you in such a way that there would be an expectation for you to respond to them. Amen? Now, and I, there, obviously part of that responsibility is on the teacher. Because even the best information, you know, information that should move us to do something, if it's shared in the wrong way, it can, it can come across as useless information. So God said to Moses, I'm giving you information. You need to share it in such a way 
that the people are going to understand they need to respond to this. And I want us to understand tonight that the word of God is not just useless information. Right? The preaching and the teaching of the Bible is not just a bunch, we're not just rehashing a bunch of ancient stories and archaic rules. No, the word of God is the infallible truth that God gives us to govern our lives and God expects there to be a response. Whether it's Sunday morning in Sunday school or whether it's Sunday morning in preaching or Wednesday night Bible study, anytime the word of God goes forth, it's not just useless information that you're gathering, right? You're not just hearing about three ancient guys who stood in a fiery furnace so that we can learn and be more knowledgeable about you know, the history of the Bible. No, it's so that we can understand that God is with us in the middle of the trial. It's so we can understand that there is no, that no situation that's too intense that God's not right in the middle of it with us. Amen, and God expects that the word of God will bring a response in our lives. If you can, here's the, here's the issue. If you can sit in the church, in the house of God, and hear the word of God and it not produce change in you, then you, you're, you're, you're not approaching it the right way. The word of God should change us. In fact, the, the, the whole purpose of the word of God is daily. and Amen. A little bit here and a little bit there, making us more like Jesus Christ. Amen. As a minister of the gospel, God has given me the responsibility to preach and teach the word in a way that you will feel compelled to and have the understanding. So yes, you should feel compelled to respond but also know how to respond. Anybody ever felt, I need to do something, but you weren't sure, what do I do? All right, preaching should, should, and teaching should equip us to do two things. Yes, it should move us to respond, but it should also, also give us wisdom in how to respond. Amen? I'm not a 10th grade geometry teacher. Amen? I'm not a 9th grade science teacher. I'm not bringing you lectures that are meant to fill your mind with useless information that you'll probably never use again. I'm here tonight. I'll be here again this Sunday. I was here the Sunday before last. Every time I stand in this pulpit, I'm here to bring you that Lamad instruction that you need to respond to, amen? That every time we hear the word of God, our question should be, what do I do with this? How do I apply this into my life? How do I take the word of God that has been shared, how do I take that and make the changes that are necessary in my life? Every time, everybody say every time. All right, not every fourth Sunday, not if pastor's preaching, all right, not if Sister Valerie's teaching. No, it doesn't matter. As long as they're in the Bible, as long as they're preaching the word, every time we hear the word of God, what's going through our minds should be, how do I apply this? How do I respond to the word of God? The fact is that in our modern world, we treat the word of God and spiritual authority, I would say, as a buffet bar, if we're not careful, right? I like that, so I'll get an extra spoonful of it. All right, man, I like that message that pastor was preaching, so I'm going to get a, another portion of that. I'm going to get a little bit more of that, right? But I don't like that. You know, I don't like pastor asking that of me, so I'm not going to do that. That's not any of his business. Everybody with me still? All right, that's a spiritual buffet bar. We take what we like and we leave what we don't like. Amen. The word of God is not your buffet bar. The word of God, again, is God saying, Moses, I'm commanding you. I'm, I'm commanding you to share with them the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, and they are, they are required to respond to those statutes, those commandments, and those judgments. Amen. We go on in the verse, and he says, God commanded me to teach them to you, that Lamad. Everybody, again, just 
We're going to come back to that word here in a little bit, that, uh, that, that Hebrew definition of, of teaching. He said this, that you must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy. And so I want us to look at that. He commanded me to teach them to you, present tense. Are you going to underline that? He commanded me to teach them to you, and that's present tense. All right, but then he goes on and says, but you must obey them in the land you are going to enter into and occupy, which is future tense. He said, I'm giving you commandments now, but they're for somewhere that you're going. I'm giving you commandments now, statutes and judgments I'm giving to you now, amen, but, but they're not for now. I'm giving them to you now, but they're for where you're going, amen. God loves you so much that he's giving you some things in your life right now. How many of you know that, you know, when we read about it in Scripture, commandments, laws, statutes, judgments, those are just nice Bible words until they come into our lives. Commandments are things we shouldn't be doing, right? God telling us what, how many of you like to be told what to do? I do as long as there's a paycheck, right, connected to it. I don't mind you telling me what to do as long as on Friday you make that deposit into my account. But for the most part, we don't like being told what to do. Right? But he said, I'm going to give you commandments. I'm going to give you statutes and judgments. Amen. All of these are binding things. They're restricting things. Amen. Things that constrict our decision making. It's God saying, no, you're not going to do whatever you want to do. You're going to do what I tell you to do. Amen. Everybody still with me? I know it's Wednesday night. All right. He said, no, you're not going to eat from every tree in the garden. I'm going to put limitations on what you do and where you go and, and how you live and what you say and how you walk. I'm going to put limitations and restrictions on that, amen, because these commandments, they bring us, they, they cause us to bring ourselves into subjection. But God gives us commandments now to prepare us for where we're going in the future. Amen. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. I want to kind of cross-reverence from Deuteronomy 6 and 1 to 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. And Paul writes here and says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run. So Paul is talking the greater context of this. Paul is talking about an athlete who's preparing for competition. And he said, because these people want to win, how many of you compete just for fun? I don't. I might say it's for fun, but I'm, I'm doing it to win. All right? And I'll say it's for fun until you start leading, and then you'll see that I didn't really mean that. Because I'm going to try to sabotage you. I'm going to try to do whatever I got to do to win. All right? And that's part of the reason I don't do board games, because I don't want to lose your friendship. So, Pastor, why don't you play Monopoly? Because you won't like me. Right? You won't like me when I'm mad, I think somebody once said. All right? So Paul is talking about the context of a guy who wants to win. He says, now this guy wants to, to, to win a corruptible crown or something that's going to pass away. But he, he said, but the only thing that's different is we also want to win. But we want to win a crown that's incorruptible. And here's what he goes on and says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But listen, verse 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be castaways. So Paul is using the illustration of an athlete who is preparing himself for competition. And he says that athlete is striving for mastery. He wants to be the best, all right? He wants to win. Now, when I was a kid, I didn't know. I, I was playing Little League Baseball, but I thought I was preparing for the major leagues. I, I didn't know that I wasn't gonna make it. I thought I was, 
Right? My seventh grade math teacher, our homeroom teacher, bursted my dreams when he started telling me all the statistics of how many people don't make it to the major leagues because I just knew one day I was going to play for the Yankees. Didn't happen. But anyway, that was my dream. But you know what? When I went out there to practice baseball, I wasn't doing it to just be a shortstop for the Little League team. I was doing it because one day I'm going to be the shortstop for the Yankees. I was preparing myself because I want to be the best of the best of the best. And Paul said because that athlete has that mind, he disciplines himself. He says, you know what? There's some things I'm not going to do. There's some places I'm not going to go. There's some people I'm not going to be around. Why? Because I want to win. And your goal as a child of God should not be I'm just going to church, amen. I just I want to go a place where there's a lot of people that you know that I have some values. That, no, I'm doing this to win. I'm doing this for one reason, and that's I've got to win. I'm going to make it to heaven. But if you have a mindset, listen, you, this, this I'm going to do whatever I want to do is not compatible with winning. Even an athlete knows that. An athlete knows if you're going to be the best of the best then you're going to have to put in the time and practice. I was listening to something the other day, and, and it was stated that LeBron James spends over a million dollars a year work on different things to help keep his body in shape. All right, different exercise things, and, and I don't know, beds he lays in, that I don't know, kind of lighting comes down. But a million dollars he spends on getting his body, keeping his body in preparation so on game day he can win. He's making that, I wish some of us would do the same thing spiritually. Make the investment that it takes. I'm not going to lose, amen. If I'm going to run this race, I'm not going to lose. If I'm going to live for Jesus, amen, but, but I'm not going to get to that day and find out I wasn't ready to make it to heaven. I, that's not, I'm not coming to church just so you can see my face. I'm not coming to church just so you can shake my hand. I'm coming to church for one reason, and that I've got to win, amen, that my family is going to be saved, that I'm going to be saved, that I'm going to make it to heaven. And because of that, I bring, I bring myself. Some of you, other people can't even bring you into subjection. You won't submit yourself to anybody. And the reason is because we can't even, we can't control, you can't submit yourself to others if you can't even control yourself. Amen. I know it's Wednesday night, but I'm not going to let up. Here's what I know about athletics. You don't train for game day the day after the game. All right, Tom Brady didn't go the day after the Super Bowl and get out there and say, man, got a big game yesterday. I got to get ready for it. No, it's too late. All right, he didn't go out there game day. He's not out there the day the game starts. He's not out there preparing for the game. Once the whistle is blown, he's not preparing for the game. No, you make preparation before the game. Amen, you make preparation before. They're out there. If you want to know the best of the best, those who are the masters in their field, whatever they might be, whether it's athletics or music or whatever it may be, I'm going to tell you, the, the best of the best are the people who discipline themselves the most. Well, I'm going to be the best. I just know it because I've got all this talent and ability. If you have no discipline, you're a mess. If you can't discipline yourself, all the talent in the world will not, you will not, you may, you may, you may run the race, but you won't win the race if you don't bring yourself under subjection. Amen. And, and so God gives us commandments now. He gives us discipline now so that we can be prepared to run the race. God gives us discipline. There are things in my life that I'm not doing now. It has nothing to do with where I'm at now. It's because I know God is taking me somewhere greater than where I'm at now. You need to have disciplines in your life that are greater than where you're at right now. 
I've got disciplines right now in my life that nobody's requiring of them, them of me. I'm putting them on myself because I know there's something greater coming for me and I want to be ready when game day gets here and so I bring myself under subjection. There, there are many today in the church that will never get where God is trying to take them because their vision is so narrow. God's trying to take you places, but you hate his commandments now. God's saying, I'm trying to put some disciplines in your life right now because I'm trying to take you somewhere. And we're so upset with the commandments that we'll never get to where God is. Listen, if you, if you despise commandment, if you despise authority, if you despise the word of God, if you despise God telling you this is the way it's going to be, you're not ready for the next season. If you really think that God has great things in store for your future, the way that you should respond is saying, I'm going to bring myself under subjection now. God gives us commandments now to prepare us for blessings later. He said, I'm giving you, Moses, I'm telling you to teach these commandments because if they're going to prosper in the promised land, they've got to submit themselves in the wilderness. How many of you believe God has more for you? How many of you really believe God has more for you? How about more of an influence in the lives of the people around you? Your influence is lost when you, don't, when you don't discipline yourself. You lose influence. Amen. Proverbs 29 and 18 is another good verse that, that bears out this principle. The writer says, where there is no vision, people perish. That word perish means they cast off restraint. Right? Where people can't see that God has something more for them in their future. They cast off restraint. Nobody's going to tell me how to live. Amen. Pastor, you're not going to tell me how to live. You're not going to tell me where I can't go. You're, you ain't going to tell me when I got to be here and when I don't got. You're not, you don't have the authority. No, the, the, the problem isn't me. The problem is you don't have vision. Amen. When you have vision, you understand there's more for me and there's greater for me. You don't cast off restraint. You welcome restraint because his, this, his commandments now are what are preparing me for blessing in the future. Amen. Amen. I know it's Wednesday night. I can tell y'all are, are like, it's Wednesday night. You need to chill out, Pastor. Not, not, I'm not going to do it because I'm trying to help some of you guys. God has so much more for you, but you're so upset with the commandments God's placing on you now that you're never going to get to where God is trying to take you. They can't see beyond there now because they despise commandments, statues, and judgments. God gives us commandments now for where he's taking us. I want you to think about some things right now in your walk with God that feel confining. Maybe some expectations that are being put on you by pastor or by delegated authority in this church that you think that's not really fair. They shouldn't be asking that of me. You're not ready for the next season if that's your mindset. If you want more, then you need to submit yourself to what's being asked of you now. All right, I'm just going to pause for a minute and let that settle in. All right, let me, let, me just, let, me, let me stay with the Bible. How about that? Deuteronomy 6 and 2. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all, everybody say all, his statutes and his commandments which I command thee thou and thy sons, or thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. First of all, I want us to maybe put a, a, a line under thou mightest fear the Lord thy God. All right, he's saying, Moses, here's what you're commanding them. You're commanding them to keep these commandments, these statutes, these judgments. I'm giving them, them now so that they can be prepared for then. And he says, here's what's going to happen. 
they've got the fear of the Lord their God. All right? The word fear that, that is there is not fear like, oh, God's here again and we're scared. Like the boogeyman fear. It's not that. All right? It's R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out. Anyway, it's, it's respect. It's reverence. It's reverence. It's having a reverence for God. It's, it's a respect for God. It's not fearful in that we're afraid of God. It's a reverence for God. 30 times in the Bible, the phrase fear the Lord appears in Scripture. Most of those times, it's as a command or an admonition to do so. In other words, it's not just talking about the fear of the Lord as this abstract thing, but it's calling an individual or us as the reader to do so. It's telling us fear the Lord. An additional 27 times, the phrase the fear of the Lord is found. Most notably, in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, which we could probably all quote, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All right, here's a few additional passages. Psalms 19 and 9 says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Proverbs 1 and 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And Proverbs 8 and 13 gives us practical understanding of what it looks like when we put the fear of the Lord into application of our lives when the writer said that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. How do I know if I really fear the Lord? Then you hate evil. Amen? There's, there's so much happening in the church today where we're trying to find excuses for evil even into the church. I'm not, try, I'm not talking about being hateful. I'm not talking about treating people badly. But the sign that you fear the Lord is when you begin to hate the things that God hates. When there becomes a holy hatred that rises up in you for what evil is doing to people around us. Amen. Well, I fear the Lord, but then we run out and do evil. You don't really fear the Lord if you have no problem running into evil. If there's evil on your television screen. Amen. If there's evil on your www dot, right, that fear of the Lord says, I hate evil. Amen, I hate evil. 57 times this fear of the Lord is referenced in Scripture. Amen. Fear the Lord thy God. We go on in verse 2. To keep all his statutes which I command thee. Fear of the Lord in this verse and in our lives the fear of the Lord precedes keeping his commandments. All right? Deuteronomy 6.2, he says that uh, if you fear the Lord, then you'll keep all his statutes. All right? So the fear precedes our keeping of his commandments. Again, that reverence, it's a respect. When I reverence the Lord, I will keep his commandments. And when we keep his commandments, it's because we reverence the Lord. Amen? The fact is we obey those that we respect. We do. We obey those that we respect. Amen. If, I, if my parent, if my dad today, if my dad called me and said, son, you need to do this, I'm going to do it. Because, why? Because I reverence him. Now, if I get one of those spam calls, somebody I don't know, and they're like, hey, you need to do this, I'm going to be like, you need to do this, and hang up, right? right? I'm not, I don't have any respect for I don't know them. There's no relationship there for me to have reverence for them. Amen. But those that we reverence, those that we respect, we obey. Well, pastor, I love you, man. You're, you're a great pastor. You're a kind pastor. I just don't think those things that you've asked of us as leaders should apply to me. So I'm going to go ahead and do them anyhow. Everybody still awake? Mike, Mike's still on? All right. And the fact is, well, you may love me, but you don't respect me. 
Because when you respect somebody, you obey them. You, you, you obey the guidelines that have been put forth. I mean, obviously there are, there are limitations to everything. If, you're, if there's an abusive leader that's asking things that are not in alignment with the scripture and you know they're overbearing, that's one thing. But if you're under somebody that's truly trying to get you and your family to heaven and they're asking certain things of you, then if you respect that leader, what you're going to do is you're going to obey the, what's been asked of you by them. If you respect God, you're going to obey his commandments. My dad and I were having, by the way, for those of you that came in late, my mom, uh, Monday night, if you came to gym night, was a fun night, a little more fun than we were planning on. Uh, my mom did have a heart attack Monday night at the gym night, at the conclusion of it. And uh, anyway, she, yesterday they did the catheter, and uh, they uh, put two stents in, is it the, is it a, Artery they put them in, Anita, is that right? Is that where an art, a stent goes, in an artery? Okay, I just want to make sure. I'm, I'm getting back to geometry and stuff. I don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, she's, she's doing better, and she, they put in two stents, and she's home tonight resting. I'm glad Sister the Temple was here, and Marge were here, and they helped out. And glad you all were here, and we prayed. So anyway, uh, yesterday I was driving my dad back up to D.C., and we were talking about faith. How many of you believe that we are saved by faith, right? If, if you get baptized, but you don't have faith, you just got wet. You took a bath at church with clothes on is what happened, all right? Everything we do, every saving act in our lives is faith. We are not, all the things that we do are the fruit of the faith that we have, but it is still faith that saves us. How many of you believe that? I know as apostolics, well, we got to do this, that, and the other. And I do believe in this, that, and the other. But it's still by faith that we are saved. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. Amen. It's by our faith in God. And here's the deal. that As my dad and I were talking about this, faith is an action word. It's an action. It's not a, you know, it's not a noun. Faith is an action word, and it's really talking about me pursuing God. That when I have faith, it's I want more of him. I want everything that God has for me. And God, if there's something more in the word of God that you show me that you have for me, I want it. I don't want to stop anywhere short of getting everything God has for me. I want it all. And you can't ever lose that. See, here's the problem when we make it a checklist. When it's, well, if you repent, baptize, get filled with the Holy Ghost, and that's what you think your salvation is. Some of you got the three checks in the block and you stopped. Well, I'm saved now. No, you're saved by your faith. Your faith is you continuing to pursue after God. And we, we should never come to a place that we no longer want more of God. How many of you in here tonight, and this is a trick question, so be careful before you raise your hands, believe you have every, you've experienced everything there is of God to experience? Good, you guys passed the test. And you're right, none of us have. Because he's, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's infinity. Amen, he's everywhere, he's all things. As long as we're in this world, we will never experience everything there is to experience of God. But here's what I know, I just wanna keep on experiencing more. I don't ever wanna get to the place in my walk with God where I say, okay, now I'm good. I can just kinda kick back and do what I wanna do. No, it's always pursuing after him. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. But when our faith begins to fail, listen to me, when our faith begins to fail, in other words, we, we start pursuing other things. With the passion that we used to pursue after God, we start pursuing other things. Our faith begins to fail. 
And when that happens, our, our convictions start to fall. We'll start doing things we wouldn't have done before. We'll go places we never would have gone before. It can't be rules and guidelines all the time that keep you from going places you shouldn't go and doing things you shouldn't do. It should be something on the inside of you that says, I want more of him. Amen, I want more of him, and I'm going to keep on pursuing after him. Yes, I got the Holy Ghost, but I want to get it again. Amen, yes, he filled me with the Spirit, but I want to get it again all. I want to get all over again tomorrow. I want to get, I want to experience things of God that I never experienced before. I mean, there's things that I read about in the Scripture, and John, I think it was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he has these revelations. I want, I want to get alone in the Spirit of God. I think it was Paul that talked about being in the, was it the seventh heaven? I think it was. I've never experienced that. I want to experience those things in God where I go to places I've never been in the spirit before and God's able to deal with But But here's the problem. Many of us, we get to a place and we say that's far enough. Faith is an action. Amen. I don't know how I got to that. I don't ever want to get to the place that I've arrived. Amen. So the verse is not over, though. So we're, we're halfway through verse 2. And you're like, man, we've only made it through 2, and you've been talking for a long time. But he says this, if you'll obey them. If you, first of all, if you reverence me, you'll keep them. If you respect me. Amen. If, if you respect my, the relationship that I have, if you respect my role in your life, you're going to obey. You're going to do the things I've asked you to do. But that's not all there is to it because then he says, if you will obey them, you, your sons, and your grandchildren, he says, your days will be prolonged. All right, that means you're going to live longer lives. Here, here's the principle that I want us to bring out of this portion of Scripture. There was always promise connected to God's commandments. When God asks you to do something, even when you don't feel like doing it, you don't know why you're supposed to be doing it, I promise you, if you'll obey what God asks of you, there's always a blessing tied to that commandment. Not one time in the history of the word of God or in the history of humanity has God asked somebody to do something there hasn't been a blessing waiting at the end of it. Right? I mean, you, the most ridiculous thing I can think about in the scripture that God ever asked anybody to do was when he told Abraham to take his son up on a hill and offer him as a sacrifice unto God. Right? That's a tough ask. And yet, what does Abraham do? He obeys it. Amen. He obeys it. Why? Because he, the Bible says he trusted God. He reverenced. He respected God. Listen, when you really respect God and you respect the, the authority God has placed in your life, there's really not many things they would ask of you that you wouldn't do it because you trust their voice. Amen. I, I just wanted, I wanted some things to soak in tonight. I'm not talking to the Sunday morning crowd. I'm talking to Wednesday night crowd here. Amen. But what happens at the end of that, right? Abraham's got the knife up and the angel comes out, grabs the arm of, of Abraham and, and says, look, there's a ram in the thicket over there. And Abraham calls that place Jehovah Jireh. He has a new revelation that nobody's ever had before that God is my provider. Yes, he's Jehovah. Yes, he's Yahweh. Yes, he's all of those things. But I just got a fresh revelation when I did something that didn't make sense to me and I trusted God in a way that didn't make sense to me. God revealed himself to me in a way that nobody else has ever had. God, listen, if you will simply do what God has asked you to do, 
And here, here's, here's the problem. What I see happen so many times is because we don't trust God, we get so filled with lust, I'll say it, over the things of this world. God asks us to give up something. God asks us to do something. Spiritual leadership asks us to do something. But we get our eyes so fixed on this little thing down here that in 15 years ain't even gonna be a part of your life. That if you would just trust God, God's gonna open up things to you that you didn't even think were possible. Some of the things some of y'all are holding on to right now have the potential to destroy your families. But you gotta have it so bad. And you don't trust the commandments God has put in place in your life that he put there for where you're going. But you're holding on to things where you're at right now so tightly that you're never going to get to where God is going. Abraham, if you don't climb that hill, you'll never know who Jehovah Jireh is. But Abraham, if you'll trust me, if you'll just walk up that hill, if you'll let go of the temporary, if you'll let go of the things of this world and climb that hill, I'm going to show you something nobody has ever seen before. And I'm telling somebody tonight, if you'll trust God, if you'll obey him, let go, let go of this world. Let go of this world. Listen, I don't care how rewarding it is. We get a hold of things in this life. Well, I'm going to be a millionaire if I get a And what? And you might end up lost for eternity. It'll take you right out of the church. Well, I'm going to get a claim in this over here, and we grab a hold of it. And what? What's the end road of that? Oh, I'm fine, Pastor. I'll, you know, there's a long road of people that said, I'll be fine. That ain't fine. Because they disregarded the commandments of the Lord. They disregarded what God was asking them to give up. So that, and if only they would have just gone to the top of that mountain. If they just would have trusted God and trusted his commandments, God was about to open things up for them. Through Isaac, through that son, amen, God opened up blessings in Abraham's life that we're still experiencing today. Amen, it was through that son that Abraham placed on the altar, amen, that God opened up blessing for generation after generation after generation. And God said, oh, Moses, if you'll teach it to them and if they'll obey it, I'll prolong their days. I'm going to bless them in ways they could never make that blessing happen. You can't make, the Bible says you can't make your life any longer. Amen. I think it says you can't make a, your hair you can't make your hair grow. I know they got product today that supposedly helps with that, but I'm a testimony today. It don't really work. I've tried some of it. All right, it don't work. And you definitely can't add a day to your life. I'm gonna tell you who can. He can. And he said, if you'll trust me, I'll do things you can't do. If you'll obey my word, I'll do things you can't do. If you'll obey me and do what I've asked of you, I'll do some things that you can, you can never manipulate. You can never make it all come to pass. But if you'll trust me and keep my commandments, you better stand back and watch what I'll do. I'll open up the windows of heaven. I'll bless your children and your children's children. You, you could not even begin to make happen the things that God could happen. We think we're so smart. Oh, I, I'll just do this, and if I connect to them, and I'll just make this happen. And we think we all got it all figured out. I'm going to tell you, you can never begin to do what God can do. He said, Moses, if they'll do it, if they'll trust me, if they'll respect me, if they'll reverence my word, if they'll start with the fear of God, if they'll begin with the reverence for the things of God, if they'll trust me and they'll obey my commandments, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prolong, I'm going to do things they could never do on their own. Amen. 
There's always promise connected to God's commandments, always. Let's go to verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that you might increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Somebody, what time is that? I don't have my iPad. All right, I still got a few more minutes. Let's go to verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. Everybody say, with all thine heart. And with all thy soul. And with all thy mind. Circle love. Circle love. Okay, love. That's what he's saying. Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. Love the Lord thy God with all thy soul. Love the Lord thy God with all thy might. Now, everything we're going to do from verse 5 to verse 7 is going to, it's going to climax in verse 7. So everything we're going to do from here on, it's to take us to verse 7. All right? So we're going to build up to it, but we're going to start at verse 7 because, after all, it's still family focus time. And verse 7 is where the family comes in. But verse 7 hinges mightily upon what we do in verses what we do with verses five and six. The fact is verse seven will be neutralized if verses five and six are compromised. He said love with all. If we say, well, I'm gonna love with a little, then we ain't gonna do verse seven a lot. We're gonna do verse seven a little. So if we could think of them kind of as verse five and six as levers, those big old-fashioned levers like the Wizard of Oz had back there was cranking. Few of you, the rest of you are like, who's Wizard of Oz? All right. They're, these levers of motion, the higher we push the levers of verses five and six, the greater the impact of verse seven is gonna be. But it all starts with verse five. Because if verse five is apathetic, then verse six will be pathetic. So it starts in verse five. In Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus identified this verse five commandment as the first and greatest commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. I am going somewhere, but there's nothing more important than where we're going in verse seven, but you will never fulfill verse seven if there is no verse five. Before you, you will never teach your children to love the Lord if you don't love him first. You will never speak about God when you get up, some of you, you know, Talking about getting up in the morning, talking about God is so foreign to you. And you, well, I just need to start talking. No, you, what needs to happen is you need to go back to verse 5 and fall in love with Jesus. If you'd fall in love with Jesus, talking about him would just come natural to you. It's not something you should have to force. You shouldn't have to force devotion time. You shouldn't have to force spending time in the word of God with your family. It should be the overflow that I've been in the presence of God. And I love him more than anything else. And because of that, I want my children to love him. I want my children to recognize that if it had not been for Jesus, our lives would be destroyed. If it had not been for Jesus, our family would be ruined. In verse 7, he's going to tell them, you need to talk to your children about my commandments. But before you will ever tell your children about his commandments, you've got to love his commandments. There's no way you're going to try. Not convincingly. Now, we may tell them, but we're not going to be convincing. We will not convincingly tell our children to keep his commandments if we don't love his commandments. There are things that we won't tell our children to do because we don't want to stop doing them. 
Well, if I tell my kids to do it, then that means, you know, because kids are quick. They'll call you on it. Hey, how come you're watching a rated R movie? Well, I didn't say we couldn't watch them. Well, pastor asked us not to. That's pastor. That's not our house rules. Hmm. Felt something right there. Let me move back to my notes. That's why you write out your notes. When you get a little out of thin ice, you just run back to your notes. Verse 6. And if you love him, then these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. If you love him, then his word will be in your heart. His commandments will be in your heart. Listen, verse 7. Again, we're we're leading to a conclusion in verse 7. But my verse 7 When I sit down with my children, when I sit down with Brooke and I sit down with Cameron and I sit with Riley and Dakota and in the morning when we do our devotion, my verse 7 telling them how important it is that we serve God is only going to be as impassioned as it has already been impressed into me. To the degree of which I am convinced will determine how convincing I'm going to be to them. I I, want to really push how important that is. He said, if you love him, Right? And these words, right? If you love him, these words which I command you will be in your heart. So again, it starts in verse 5. Because if I don't love him, his word doesn't really get into my heart. Oh yeah, I go to a church where there's a word preached, but it just gets in my ear. It never gets in my heart. Yes, I've got spiritual leadership that's trying to help me get to heaven. And they put some guidelines in place to help me get there. But they just go in one ear and out the other. They never really get into my heart. But if you love him, then his words are going to get into your heart. His commandments are going to get into your heart. What happens when a commandment gets in your heart? It's something that you want to do. It's something that you desire to do. I'm not doing it because it's a list of rules. I'm doing it because it's drawing me closer to Jesus. I'm doing it because it's keeping me from destruction. I want to implore us to the importance of this. I want us to look at Genesis chapter 19 Verse 14, and I'm going to read this verse from the Amplified Version. I'm not going to take time to delve off into the context of this verse. Most of us are somewhat aware of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and that whole story. I just want to pick up this one verse, and the Bible says, Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, and said to them, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will spoil and destroy this city. But he seemed, the Bible says, he seemed to his sons-in-law to be only joking. Amen. He seemed to be only, he runs to his sons-in-law and he says, I just, the angels of the Lord were just here. And they just told me that this city is about to be destroyed, so we need to get out of here. And the Bible says his sons-in-law thought, thought Lot was only joking. I don't believe it's because there was a lack of urgency in Lot's voice. I believe there was panic. I believe the facial expressions were there. I believe there was dismay. I believe he was doing everything in his power to convince them this place is about to. I believe Lot was convinced. These are the angels of the Lord and destruction is coming. I don't believe it was his voice or his facial expression that led them to think Lot was joking. I think it was the lack of urgency in his lifestyle. They had watched their father-in-law compromise for years. They had watched Lot go to the temple and be one thing and then come back home and be something entirely different. 
They have watched Lot talk to them about God but never lived like he really believed God existed. And now in this moment, Lot shows up and tells them, we got to get out of here because God's about to destroy him. And the Bible leads us to believe they laugh at Lot because they think he is joking. Listen, there is a long-term impact. Amen. It's not just the words we say. It's not just the facial expressions, but it's in the light. Our kids need to know that we really do love the Lord with all of our heart. Our kids need to know that Our kids need to know that serving God is the most important thing. Now, we can tell them that if I tell my children serving God is the most important thing, but but I'm going to spend all this money so you don't even have to come to church, and I'm going to keep you so busy that you don't even need to come to the house of God. We're sending a mixed signal. There's a long-term impact. Those two sons-in-law died in Sodom. That's bad enough. If my life causes two other people to perish, the way I've lived causes people to die, not just people, family. Are any of you willing that anybody in your family would not be ready to make it into heaven because of the way you lived? Because you really didn't take the things of anybody signed me up for that? No, I didn't think so. But that's that's not the end of it. As a result... His lonely daughters have gone to the mountain with Lot. They're lonely. They feel like they're not going to have any children to carry on their name. And so they get their own father intoxicated and sleep with him. And the result of that is they have a, there's a baby born named Moab. That's, I mean, that's pretty bad. It's not enough you got two sons that, sons-in-law that died in Sodom. Now your own daughters got you intoxicated and had a child with you. Moab. But the nation of Moab will forever be an enemy, a thorn in the side of Israel. In Numbers 22, a thousand years later, 25 generations later, that's your great, 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 anyway, I don't know how many greats, grandkid. Balak is now the king of Moab, and he's so upset over the blessing of God upon Israel. He's so upset that God is blessing the Israelites that the Bible said he hires a prophet to come and speak a curse upon the people of God. Listen, you don't know right now by you not really living for God and you being halfway in church and halfway in the world and not really being convinced that living for God is important. You don't know what it's going to do to generations down the road that will actually despise the blessings of God. They hated, Balak hated the blessing. You know what, who that sounds like to me? It sounds like Esau, who said he hated the birthright. Listen, the the way that you live at home and the way you follow the leadership that God has placed in your life is going to determine the way your children serve God. Well, pastor, I don't agree with that. Well, there's a lot of things I don't agree with either, but I submit myself to them because I reverence and respect the people that have asked me to do that. I don't want to produce generations of confusion. All because one man didn't have conviction in his heart when he spoke to his sons. The day will come, and I don't say this as a threat. I hope it don't come. Because there's choice we have in it. But the day will come when your children will walk away from truth if your spiritual devotion appears to be a joke to them. They didn't really mean it. And they did on Sunday because pastor was there, but they didn't didn't live like that at home. It was different people. 
They didn't care what we listened to at home. I mean, it's a different environment. At church, it was one thing. But when we went home, all the stuff pastor asked us to do, they, would, they, didn't, act, they didn't do none of that. They were one way here and another way there. And it appeared to them that Lot was joking. So finally, we come to verse 7. If you love the Lord, and if his words are in your heart, then thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. All right, so we come full circle now. We started off with Moses teaching, and now we got us teaching. Everybody say me. All right, Moses says, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to, what was the word there? Lamad you. I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you some things. I'm going to give you some instruction with the, with the expectation that you're going to respond, that you're going to apply what I've told you, right? That was what Moses did. And now here's their response. The Bible says, if you, in verse five, if you love the Lord, and in verse six, if the word is in your heart, then verse seven, you will teach your children. Now the word teach that is used here is the Hebrew word shenin, which means to inculcate, all right? Now you all know what that means. We can move on. Now I didn't know what inculcate means either. Anybody know what inculcate means? Any super smart? Good, I didn't feel alone then. When I first read it, I was like, I have no clue what that means. Inculcate means to teach persistently and earnestly, to impact by repeated statements or admonition. The same Hebrew word, Shanin is a verb. Do you have that video? Can we get a video to you? I think, all right. This, when, when, when Moses said to them, you need to teach the word, this is what they, because that same word Shanin is the process of sharpening a knife. It's the repetition of taking that blade and rubbing it, uh, wetting, W-H-E-T-T, make sure I let you know what, what kind of wedding Moses is telling them to do. Not, anyway, uh, so W-H-E-T-T-I-N-G. A process of sharpening the, sharpening the knife. All right, so when Moses is telling them, you're going to teach your children, this is the image in their mind. It's not one swipe across the stone and the blade is ready to go. No, it's a process. It's continually, it's consistently taking that blade and rubbing it across the stone. Amen. So, and, and it talks about not just sharpening a knife, but it's preparing that knife or that sword for action. And Moses was telling them, okay, I've given to you the commandments, the laws, the statutes, and the judgments. Now this is what you need to do. In the morning when you get up, you need to take that, that sword, that stone, you need to rub that sword over the stone. You need to get that edge ready. But it's not just sharpening the stone. It's getting ready for action. Amen. When I get in front of my children and I tell them, Brooke, the most important thing you'll ever do is serve God. I'm not just doing that one time in her life. It's repetition because I'm readying Brooke for action. I'm preparing her to be what God has purposed her to be in the kingdom of God. Amen. You've got to sharpen the edge of your children. You've got to get them ready for the highest calling. The highest calling your children have is not to make six figures. It's not to make seven figures. It's not to get a PhD or be an MD. It's none of that. The highest calling they have is to be everything God called them to be. And the only way that will happen is if you're consistently teaching them. When we wake up in the morning, we're talking about Jesus. Before you go to bed at night, we're talking about Jesus. On Monday, we're talking about Jesus. On Sunday, why? And 
again, it's not coming out of somebody telling me to. It's because I love him with all of my heart. I love him with all of my soul. I love him with all of my strength. Listen, if you didn't know it yet, your kids are not accidentally going to love God. It's not going to happen. If you didn't know it yet, your kids are not going to become everything God created them to be because you dragged them to church on Sunday. It's not going to happen. It's going to happen when there is harmony between the pulpit and what happens at home. It's, it's when there is harmony between the word of God that is preached on Sunday and what is lived in your home on Monday. And when there is a disconnect in that and the only place they're hearing the word preached is on Sunday, your children are going to be a blunted edge. They will not fulfill the work of God that God created them to fulfill. That was a sharp ending, right? I want my kids to be everything. I want your kids to be everything God created them to be. I'd be disappointed. 20 years from now, Chi-Chi's driving a Lamborghini around Southern Maryland. I mean, I won't be disappointed that you're driving a Lamborghini. Don't forget to pay tithes, but, but, but I will be disappointed if Chi-Chi's driving a Lamborghini, started up a multi-billion dollar business, but he doesn't have his face in an altar on a Sunday. I'll be disappointed. Because the greatest thing, Chi Chi, if you have to drive a Pinto, you probably don't even know what that is. Amen. If you got to drive a car that you got to duct tape together to get to church on Sunday. Amen. But you're in the altar. You've been successful. Amen. And God will use you. Amen. Amen. I'm not going to waste my time focusing just on the things of this world. I'm not running for a corruptible crown, but I'm running for an incorruptible crown. I want us to stand together. I love the Lord. It's up to us to teach our children. It's up to us when we wake up in the morning. It's got to be the overflow of a walk with God. It's got to be the overflow of a relationship with God. Amen? I know that, I know that as a church, there are things that we ask of leaders that, we don't, that other churches in this community don't ask. I know that. I don't apologize. I don't apologize for that. But it takes a level of trust. It takes a level of trust from you as leaders. It takes a level of trust from you as people that are striving to be. Because God, if God doesn't have a future for you, he won't give you commandments now. If there's no promised land, then no need for commandments in the wilderness. If all you're ever meant to do is live in the wilderness, you don't need commandments. Commandments aren't made for wilderness. They're made for promised lands. But if God has a future for you, and if he has a future for your children, then you need to say, God, I submit myself to the commandments. I, I submit myself to the judgments. I submit myself to the statute. It's if you're going to be in this church, and I, I don't say this self-aggrandizingly. I don't know what that means, but I think that's the right word. I'm not saying this because it's me, but you need to submit yourself to the authority that God has given me in the office of the pastor. Why? Why? Because there's a future for you. And there's a future for your children. And there's a future, amen, for your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. And, and as many generations as this, however long this world is, God wants to bless through you, not curse through you. God wants to bless. Amen? Amen. Well, the Lord bless you. I'm done. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you tonight for your word. And I pray, God, not out of condemnation. I really am not trying to be harsh tonight. God, I want, I want the children of this church. I want the young people. God, I want our homes and our families to be blessed, and that cannot happen just through what happens in here on Sunday or Wednesday. It cannot. It's got to be a partnership. 
God, there's got to be moms and dads that are falling in love with Jesus. There's got to be moms and dads that are saying, you know what, I'll submit myself. I may not understand what's being asked, but I'll submit myself. Uh, I may not agree with everything that's being asked, but I'll submit myself because there's a future. Uh, I'll do in the wilderness what I don't understand because I want the blessings of the promised land. Uh, Hallelujah. And God, I pray that as we do that, uh, that Lord, in our living rooms on Mondays, as moms and dads sit down uh, and they begin to open up the word of God, I pray that there would be a visitation of the Holy Ghost uh, in living rooms across this community. I pray God greater than what we experience on Sunday morning in here that there will be a move of God on Tuesday evenings in our homes as parents who are in love with Jesus and his word has made its way into their hearts and now they sit in front of their children and once again they share with them, hear O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord and we love the Lord with all of our heart. We love him with all of our strength. We love him with all of our mind and God's going to bless us. Come on family, God's got a promised land I know right now it may feel like we're in a wilderness, but God wouldn't put these commandments in our lives if he didn't have a promise for us. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. I know know it's Bible study and kids are waiting and cookies need to be devoured, I know, but I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. And I just want to confirm what I feel, that God is saying to somebody, if you'll submit to what you don't understand, if you'll submit to what you don't understand, Come on, if you'll, if you'll fall in love with Jesus all over again, if you'll, hide, if you'll let his word get into your heart, God's going to bless your children. That, that's the main, Paul said, there's no greater prayer, no greater joy than that my children walk with the Lord. No greater joy, no greater joy than that my children are walking with the Lord. And God wants to give you that greatest blessing. Amen. The Lord bless you. You're dismissed. There's, we do ask. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait.